transphobia or a stronger America. Hi, neighbor. I'm Righty Riley, and I'm running for Congress. And I'm a woman who likes to play sports. Great. You're just the person I want to talk to because if elected, I'm going to protect you from the men that are ruining women's sports. Wonderful. That means that Title IX is going to be fully defended. That means funding is going to be more equitable. That means you're going to speak out against all these chauvinistic shot jacks out there. And my reproductive health rights are going to get protected, right? Well... Then who exactly are you protecting me from? Uh, from those biological men. Oh, I get it. You're just about transphobia. Well, of course. How else do you think we're going to get elected? A message for you from all the politicians who believe that you hate transgender people as much as they do. What you just heard? Better get used to it because, in case you haven't noticed, I'm pretty sure you have. There's an election going on, and we're in the final month of campaign 2022. It's only going to get worse from here on out. Hello again, everybody. I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb, and this is the Transporter Room, the intersection of sports, transness, sci-fi, gaming, all things nerd and geek, and a lot of other stuff. And we're going to be talking a little bit about the campaign, and we're going to have a special guest who stood up and spoke out for inclusion in her sport, and it's helping things in a lot of other sports. That to come later. But first, we're going to start with the shout-outs this week. And a big shout out to one Natalie Ryan, the professional disc golf pro tour competitor has had a career season in 2022 and she added another feather to the cap with her second elite tour series victory at the MVP open in Massachusetts over the weekend. Now here's the story. She went toe to toe with two of the best on the tour, perennial superstar Paige Pierce and this year's most dominant player, Estonian Kristen Tatar. Now, how dominant has Tatar been? Let me tell you. At the beginning of the season, in the in a stretch from February to June, she was she took part in nine tournaments. She didn't finish lower than third in any of them, and she won five of them, including four in a row. And then there's this stretch of six tournaments leading up to this weekend's romp in Massachusetts. Six tournaments, five wins, including three in a row entering this past weekend. Now, the final day was a, ended up being a three-person duel. Paige Pierce was in there, Kristen Tatar was in there, Natalie Ryan was in there. Pierce dropped back at the 17th hole, and it was up to Ryan and Tatar, who ended up both at par on 18, which means they've tied at one over and that forced a playoff, a do-over of the 18th hole. Tatar parred the hole again, but Ryan, the second time around, birdied it for her second career Elite Tour Series win. I feel incredible. Oh, winning this event is, oh, it's mean a lot to me. I have, I have a, lot of, a lot of friends, a lot of supporters around here, so it means a ton to me to, uh, to win this one. Just thank you to all my fans, all my supporters. Shout out to Neptune Discs and Honestly, it's just, it's, it's a pleasure. When she got the trophy at the venue, there were cheers all around for Natalie Ryan. But it wasn't a, there was a lot of Bronx cheers in the social media and the Twitter sphere afterwards. You see, Natalie Ryan is a transgender woman. And 
once again, a transgender woman who does well in sports runs into the immutable rule of transgender women in sport, which is... A transgender woman can play as long as cisgender women always win. If the transgender woman wins, we call her a cheetah. The win is suspect, and we put in rules to make sure that no other transgender woman can ever play again. So say we all. As we said, it all hit the Twitter sphere, and the nonsense and mean tweets were sure to follow. Now, one thing about the about the Professional Disc Golf Association. First, they use the IOC guidelines. And they use the IOC guidelines prior to the framework of fairness, which are pretty comprehensive. In fact, we have a link to their guidelines in the liner notes. Simply put, there's testosterone limits all around. There's all the things that you need to do. And Natalie Ryan has met all the criteria. She is allowed to be in what they call the female premier premier division, the FPO as they call it in disc golf parlance. There's also what they call the MPO, which is called a mixed division, not a male division. It's mostly men, but also women can play in it. The idea is, is that Natalie Ryan plays in what they call the gender protected category. She is a woman. She plays as a woman. She plays with other women. And in following some disc golf fandom, including some people I know who are privy to the community, she's pretty much well accepted. There is not a lot of beefing, except from those few fans on Twitter who, from, who apparently really don't know what they're talking about. Now, the other part of it is that the PDGA, in many ways, doesn't engage in the noise. They congratulate and, in a silent way, stand behind the players. In this case, they stood behind Natalie Ryan. In fact, look at the stats from the weekend. Her second Elite Series win of the year, Natalie was second in strokes game putting, sixth in strokes gained tee to green for the weekend, and averaged a 987 event rating. Put that all together, that spells a nice win and a nice little check at the end of the weekend. Now, many players have stood up for her, like we said, and when she got her win back in July, her sponsor also stood up. Her spon- one of her sponsors, Neptune Disc, put up this tweet, quote, We never dial it, Natalie. That's why we signed her and why we support her on her journey to become a top-tier FPO player. Congratulations to Natalie on her first win, and we look forward to many more. Now, it's interesting you know that some people harsh on what are known as the quote-unquote fringe sports. But notice what sports are acting in good sportsmanship, good sports citizenship, and honor all the lofty character stuff that we claim sports is all about. It's sports like disc golf and ultimate and quad ball, you know, the artist formerly known as Quidditch, and roller derby. These sports that people all scoff at, but they're the sports leading the way. Hashtag just saying. Now, also a note to certain people whose tweets are also in the liner notes. Yes, I'm talking to you. And no, I didn't blank your names out. Remember, Carly Webb rule about that. You see, if you're going to say ignorant stuff, you're not going to get to hide behind your screen name. I'm going to put it out there because the fact is you shouldn't get to hide because trans people never get to hide. 
Now, to, a note to all the people whose tweets I put down there, you know, the ones who felt the need to body shame Ms. Ryan and, and say the creepy things, this is for you. Okay, this is for all the cisgender people out there. Cisgender people, huddle up, huddle up. I'm talking to you. Look, we of the transgender community would really like it if you quit speculating on people's genitalia. Not only is it rude, it's really kind of creepy. I even wrote a song about it. Want to hear it? Hear it go. They're creepy and they're kooky. They're right wing and they're spooky. Disgusting bits of zuki. Just stay away from me. Come on, sis folks, get it together, please. Elsewhere in Outsports right now, go to Outsports.com and check some of these things out. You had another great coming out story about a hockey player who was a trans woman who returned to the ice and was embraced by her former college team, and she's back on that ice. Good on you. Check out the coming out story. And congratulations to Anthony Bowens. Five Tool got it done. He became All Elite Wrestling's first out LGBTQ male champion last Wednesday. Great story by Brian Bell. Check it out. And Kenny Schultz has something that you need to read. You know, World Cup's coming up in Qatar real, real soon. It's coming right around the corner. And he's talking about how the World Cup's One Love campaign can step up the protest because, as you know, Qatar is a place where basically being an LGBTQ person is against the law. And Ken has some things to say about that and how what is really kind of a milquetoast form of protest and form of support by a number of teams, while their hearts are in the right place, they could be a little more strident. And Ken talks about that. Check that article out. You're hearing that music, you know it's time for the Transporter Room Campaign 2022 update. And this update takes us to Kansas, where Governor Laura Kelly, Democrat running for re-election, who has twice vetoed attempts to pass the Alliance Defending Freedoms cut and paste, ban trans kids from school sports legislation, has been under attack from her opponent, Republican State Attorney General Derek Schmidt who's been hitting her hard on this issue and saying that Laura Kelly supports men in girls' sports. It's something he said on the trail. And he's not the only one saying it. A couple weeks ago, he brought in a surrogate to speak for him, a collegiate swimmer from the University of Kentucky named Riley Gaines. You probably know that name. She also spoke at the Transphobia Palooza conference back in Las Vegas back in June. And she also says that Laura Kelly, quote, lets men compete with girls. So Governor Kelly responded with her own ad last week. And the ad starts with, quote, of course, men shouldn't play sports against girls. In fact, if you want to see the ad for yourself, we put the ad in the liner notes and what caused that ad to come into being in the liner notes in the interest of, I believe in the fairness doctrine. So we're going to give you both sides. Now, my take on it, what govern a lot of people have gotten on Governor Kelly, some for saying what she said in the ad and some for what she doesn't say. Now, her opposition obviously 
is going after her because of what she says in the ad and saying that she's lying about her record, blah, blah, blah. But there are many people who are supporting her and potentially, and also are supporters of LGBTQ people who are saying that she didn't go far enough. But first, let's dig into this for a second. To me, what Governor Kelly says in the ad should be a duh statement, because to me it is. Men don't play girl sports. I know that, you know that, and everybody who's putting on their thinking cap knows that. But Derek Smith is selling this line because he thinks you don't put on your thinking cap. And he knows why he's selling that line, and the people who support him does. Because, unfortunately, that line works. Because there's enough cisgender people, including some of you, who are part of the quote-unquote vote blue, I'm liberal, I'm a Democrat crowd, who also say, well, I vote blue and I'm a liberal, but will buy the transphobia he's trying to sell you. But on the other side of the line, let's take a look at the surrogate he brought in, the aforementioned Ms. Gaines. Now, some of you may remember Riley Gaines, because you see, Riley Gaines is a solid swimmer. SEC champion at the University of Kentucky, a former Olympic trials qualifier. She's got a good resume. She went to the NCAA championships last season, and she was in the 200-yard freestyle. And she finished tied for fifth with a swimmer from the University of Pennsylvania named Leah Thomas. Yes, that Leah Thomas. And what happened next was, you see, when you tie, you both get the trophy. In this case, it's the fifth place trophy. Now, something I want to point out, the trophies, whether you got first or eighth, are the exact same size, exact same dimension. The only difference is what place you got. The NCAA officials decided since it was a tie, Leah Thomas got the fifth place trophy and Riley Gaines would stand on the podium for the pictures, hold the sixth place trophy, and then she'd get the right trophy she was supposed to get in the mail a few days later. No muss, no fuss. Now, but that's when Riley Gaines got all, well, riled up. And if you don't believe me, you can Google it for yourself. We're gonna, we are gonna put some links in the liner notes to let you know. She wasn't kidding. Basically, she threw a fit over a trophy. And by throwing a fit over a trophy, she was able to get a platform as as I said, she spoke at the Icons Conference in Las Vegas, or as I like to call it, Transphobapalooza, all because she felt she was quote-unquote unrecognized. And she's been taking it out and putting up this personal vendetta against Leah Thomas ever since to right-wing anti-trans media sources, from OutKick to Tucker Carlson to Newsmax, Wherever she can get booked for an interview, she's doing an interview and she's taking shots at Leah Thomas and taking shots at trans people all the while. Also, she's done some big rooms like appearing with former President Donald Trump at the CPAC conference in Texas, the same CPAC conference that Hungarian anti-trans dictator Viktor Orban attended. And most recently, Gaines flew to Kansas, made an appearance with Derek Schmidt, and just a few days ago, flew down to Georgia to make a campaign appearance with senatorial candidate 
Herschel Walker. Now, let's not get it twisted. Riley Gaines has the right to say what she wants to say. Granted, the only thing she's really saying is more transphobia largely directed at a swimmer who's no longer in college swimming, has basically been banned from moving forward in the sport, and is most likely in law school right now anyway. We've heard the misgendering and the dead naming and all the nonsense before. She's not saying anything new. But I want to remind people who may buy into this. You're talking about a largely obscure, good but not great spoil sport who used bigotry and vitriol and basically threw a tantrum and gained a platform. Hashtag just saying. And that's the red alert claxon. You know what that means. Got to take a break. Give love to the sponsors. But when we come back, an athlete from the world of Ultimate Frisbee who spoke out, stood out, helped build a policy, and has a te- and has built a template that other sports, I think they need to look at. We meet her and talk to her next. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb. This is the Transporter Room. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Transporter Room. I'm your host, Carly Chardonnay Webb. And in our spotlight interview this week, someone who has worked towards inclusion from the foundation and from the guts of a sport. Now, we all know that in 2022, there's been a lot of talk about governing bodies have made this decision and that decision in regards to if transgender people, especially transgender women, can participate or not. We've seen it in swimming, we've seen it in cycling, we've seen it in triathlon, and other sports are set to join the line. But the true innovators have been sports off the beaten path. Sports such as roller derby, quad ball, the artist formerly known as Quidditch, disc golf, which is rather prominent if you heard our first segment, and Ultimate. Yes, Ultimate. That child born when disco was dying that became a cult classic in college campuses throughout the 80s and 90s. Yours truly, when I was in college, played some Ultimate, and I continue to play even to now, off and on. I usually try and go to a park, find a good pickup game here and there. but as Ultimate has moved into more competitive realms, including a collegiate championship, a national championship, and now a burgeoning professional league, in many ways, Ultimate has led the way towards inclusion and towards building a rules package that puts all types of people into the game. And one of the people you can thank for that is our guest this week. Jenna Weimer has played at the club level for the last 12 years. Before that, she played at the collegiate level. At the same time, when she was playing in college, she was also finding her truth as a transgender woman. And as she came out, she also came out resoundingly to help USA Ultimate build a transgender inclusion policy. 
And that inclusion policy, some of the ideas that she brought forth, is still in use at this moment. and could just possibly be something that other sports could use. And she's here with us this week to talk about it. Beaming up from the Bay Area, Jenna Weimer, welcome to the Transporter Room, Energize. Thanks for having me, glad to be here. Jenna, welcome to the Transporter Room. I just want to do a quick molecule check, make sure everything's okay, no turf double Jenna Weimers coming in from the Mirror Universe coming in, but it looks pretty good. Well, first things first, how was your season? Uh, my season went okay. I played at the club level for Ultimate Frisbee, Ultimate uh, main source of comp- area of competition is actually club level, and the pro scenes, pro leagues are uh, growing, but relatively young, all things considered, when it comes to pro leagues. Uh, so team did okay uh ultimate uh season is heading towards the end of its postseason my team didn't make it all the way through to the end but that's okay it's how it goes sometimes so now i get a little bit of a break before the pro season kicks back up again uh and double overtime will be back when the pro leagues start at the beginning of next year so you know pretty good as it as they go sometimes Not every season can be a a fully, fully successful one, but not bad, all things considered. Some people see this as a fringe sport, but it's gained quite a cult following, especially on college campuses, not just here in the United States, but around the world. And you go to a lot of city parks, you see ultimate games breaking out, and now you're even building to a professional level. Why do you feel this sport has taken over the way it has? I think a lot of it is that, I mean, at the base level, it is very fun to uh, throw a Frisbee and to run and catch a Frisbee. It's just a fun sport in general. But I know for me and for a lot of folks, the thing that tends to keep us coming back to it uh, is the community, is the people. Um, I've done road trips, and I know that other folks in the community can attest to this, where if you end up traveling somewhere, uh, around the country, around the world, you can usually find a friend in the ultimate community. They'll usually let you uh, crash on their couch if you need to, um, or meet up or uh, find a pickup game because they're pickup games all around the country, all around the world. And it's usually pretty easy to find yourself in a new place and find the ultimate scene. And that's an automatic source of community if you're new to an area. That's what I did when I went to grad school up in Reno, Nevada was new to the place, didn't really know anyone, but found the ultimate community. And that's uh, where I at least got started in terms of building community when I was in Reno. As you were finding your way in the sport, you also found yourself. How did ultimate factor into your transition, if it did factor? I mean, it, it played a pretty big role, um, in particular, bringing me to, to where I am now in my life. Um, I had the interesting confluence of uh, starting graduate school and realizing I was trans uh, basically the exact same time, about two weeks before I actually moved to Reno to start graduate school back in 2016. Um, And so for me, it was about transitioning. And when I was in Reno, all new people, all new job, turned out all new me. Um, I had to find some community uh, because otherwise it's going to be a very lonely first summer there. I found the ultimate community. And then when I wanted to continue to try and 
play ultimate, uh, especially since I had some college eligibility left actually to use in graduate school. Uh, that ended up factoring into my transition or my process in terms of trying to figure out for myself what does it mean, what it, what it meant to me to be a trans athlete in ultimate. And at the time in 2016, going into early 2017, there weren't really many or any out trans athletes, at least not well-known in the U.S. The only person who was really out was a trans man who lives in Australia, so not particularly close. And so Ultimate played a significant role in trying to navigate for myself what it meant to be a trans athlete. That's how I first started talking to USA Ultimate about what their policies were um, or were not really at the time back in 2016. Um, and it sort of launched me to where I am now, before I even realized I was trans, I, I did occasionally find myself uh, when I was in college and playing on the men's B team at UC Berkeley. I found myself occasionally looking longingly over towards the women's teams. Um, and then when I got to Reno, um, I played on the men's team in the fall semester as I was starting my transition, but hadn't fully come out yet. And then moved to the women's team in the spring of uh, 2017. Um, and it was a shift because especially like early in transition, trying to find yourself and figure out as a trans woman, um, my place in a women's sport in women's spaces was definitely an adjustment. But for the most part, I had um, really great inclusion. Um, I was welcomed to the women's team pretty much across the board. Um, and in terms of on-field performance, I just didn't have the thoughts of gender stuff running around the back of my brain. So I felt a little freer to, to do what I wanted. I've definitely really grown as a player in the five years somehow, because time flies uh, since I started transitioning. What were the rules at the time? Where were they? When you came out? So in 2016, when I started transitioning um, into until they updated the policy in November of 2018, um, the rules were based on the now former uh, NCAA guidelines um, that mandated uh, a year on testosterone blockers for trans femme people. Um, it meant that trans masculine people couldn't play in the women's division or as a women matching player in our mixed divisions because ultimate has a mixed gender division um, as soon as they started uh, hormones, as soon as they started testosterone. Um, and it was about oh three quarters of a page long. Um, and it was very just, we have these basic rules because we need to have them in place, but there were no nothing in place about what if there's a challenge to someone's eligibility um, with college eligibility and ultimate being much like the NCAA um, around five years. What happens when a trans woman, a trans feminine person loses a year of their five years of college to their hormone policy? There, were, there wasn't very much structure in place. There was no mention of non-binary people whatsoever. Um, and that's what, kind of where it was. And when I first reached out, part of my asking to USA Ultimate was, what are the rules? What are your interpretation of the rules? And what does this mean for my eligibility? Um, because at the time, I had 
two years of eligibility left, which eventually ended up only being one because I had to miss out on my first spring semester with the women's team because I was ineligible per the USA Ultimate rules at the time because I had not completed a year on testosterone blockers at that point. So it was about you reaching out to them, them reaching out to you, and both sides, you and USA Ultimate, in a sense, worked from there. From there, where did the process go? Well, the interesting thing is they got back to me with an answer, but I didn't actually ever formally consult with USA Ultimate. Um, I was never really in the room where it happened, as it were. Um, Instead, what ended up happening was I wrote what became a series of articles um, in an Ultimate Frisbee online magazine called Skyed Magazine. Um, the first one coming out in March of 2017, where I came out very publicly to the Ultimate community as a trans woman in Ultimate. And I was like, here I am. I exist. And what are we doing with our policies? Because it, it's uncertain and different um, organizations and sports have different rules. And what do we want ours to be? And it was followed by uh, Ultimate Canada, the governing body of Ultimate Frisbee in Canada, coming out with their own policy that was different than USA Ultimate's. And I wrote a compare and contrast piece, basically like, hey, Ultimate Canada made this update that's progressive. What about USA Ultimate? What are they doing? And it continued to be this sort of push and pull where I was trying to push USA Ultimate in a direction of, are you working on this policy? Are you not working on this policy? What does it look like? Here are some thoughts that I'm going to offer in this public sphere, but I didn't know at the time whether or not they were taking it directly. And it wasn't until I a draft was shared with me before the final version came out in 2018 that indeed it looked like they had taken, in fact, some of my suggestions almost directly from my articles and just put them straight into the policy um, and then made some other additions. The 2018 policy ended up being like four and a half pages long, which compared to three quarters of a page at least meant that it was more, had more breadth and had more intention around what the policy was, um, which kept hormone requirements in place, but included things like uh, a year exemption if you lose a year of eligibility at the time. Um, it included the mention of non-binary people for the first time, but actually basically just reboxed non-binary people back into binary boxes, um, which was worked on and, and fixed later um, and, and made progress. Uh, opened up the youth division so anyone could play without any restrictions at the youth level. Um, and that was, that was 2018. And of course, there was still work to be done, again, given the mention of non-binary people, but without actually making any real headway on it. Do you think the powers that be at, in USA Ultimate probably caught your TED Talk as well? Uh, I mean, I think the, the 2019 uh, TEDx Talk um, actually came so it came after the first iteration the first change to the usa ultimate policy um and if i were to do that now it's interesting because it would be pretty radically different for a number of reasons and partially because uh by the time we got to the end of 2020 usa ultimate had updated the policy again 
um, partially from some of the suggestions and feedback that they had gone from community members um, other than myself in the wake of the 2018 policy in particular. What about non-binary people? Or don't put them back into the boxes um, that, that that had happened in the 2018 policy. And, and in particular, there was one person who was working pretty closely with USA Ultimate, uh, Kellen Gibney, who uh, had raised the issue um, of what if there are folks who are on low doses of testosterone? Does that mean that they can they're completely ruled out of the women's division and potentially women matching play and mix? Um, or is there some more flexibility? What does it look like to have a policy that isn't just cut and dry of hormones work the same way for everyone and any amount of testosterone um, affects someone's athletic performance directly? Um, so by the time they got to 2020, they just opened it up. They're like, you know what? We don't want to regulate people's participation. We'd rather start from inclusion, let people play in the divisions on the teams that they want and go from there. And as far as I know, the last couple of years, there's been no real issues with that policy, at least not in terms of the fear mongering of, oh, there are just going to be men who go and dominate the women's division. Um, just hasn't happened and ultimate instead has proceeded to um seem to be at least more inclusive of trans and non-binary people than it was just a few years ago i think with the current policy the biggest plus is that the it explicitly states anyone can play in any division in any gender matchup that they want uh, regardless of their gender identity regardless of how long they have or haven't been transitioning in whatever way, shape, or form. Um, I think the the issues that are currently being brought up by the trans ultimate community um, are around that we have a mixed gender division that I sort of mentioned um, earlier, where we have there's a men's division, at least in USAU terms, uh, a women's division, both of which are technically open to everyone, but the women's division is far more has far more trans and non-binary players, as far as I know at this time, than the men's division. And a mixed gender division, which is set up at the moment so that men and women play together, but there isn't currently space in the way that the USA Ultimate Rules are set up for gender identities outside of men or women to be recognized or there have been different changes, but it's still very binary. Um, there's been language shifting from uh, men and women on the field to men matching players and women matching players. Uh, so still within the binary structure, because that's what it's set as with USA Ultimate, but recognizing that not everyone who matches up primarily against women is necessarily a woman. Um, someone could be non-binary and prefer to match up against women within the system that basically launch people into men and women. Um, so there's been movement and conversations as part of a, a policy that I uh, helped create um, that opens up the idea of Ultimates played seven on seven. People aren't aware. We have an odd number of players, just like basketball and soccer. Um, seven v seven. And in mixed, the seventh spot basically generally flip-flops back and forth or changes depending on what teams want to play. If they're going to play four women matching players or four men matching players on the field, 
To which I thought, well, if it's already flip-flopping, why do we have any restrictions at all? There should at least be one spot on the field, and there's discussions about making all of the spots on the field like this, an option for a defender of anyone, or there's non it's non-gender designated. So sure, you can have three women matching players and three men matching players, and then people can do whatever they want in the other spot. And there's been changes in different leagues about a defender of anyone, a defender of all. Um, that allows for more flexibility in terms of matchups that starts to move a little bit more away from the binary that's set up within the mixed division to, yeah, people are going to match up and it maybe doesn't matter what gender they identify as or what gender they prefer to match up on. So most people will just match up against whoever and you go from there. Now, one thing people are thinking a lot about and you hear about all these words like you hear about the nanomoles and testo- serum testosterone and the buzzwords like fairness, but rarely do you hear any conversation about how all these regulations affect what we see on the field. What can other sports learn from the process that you and Ultimate's governing bodies have undertaken? I mean, I think the biggest thing that I've seen in Ultimate, from my own experience and from seeing other folks in the community, is that it's a very player-led process to a large extent. Like, yes, there is the governing body um, that officially makes the rules, but at the end of the day, a lot of the push, all the progress has been made by by players simply asking, okay, but like, what if it could be different? Okay, but what about in this situation? And I think that's something that we've, actually seen across sports in general um, is that oftentimes the movement happens because players, because people involved in the sports directly speak up and feel like their voices are heard. And, and then the organizations respond. I mean, just look at, you know, I think the prime example that often gets cited, Chris Mosier, right. Is out qualifies for team usa and the question is what's his eligibility and it sparks a change in the ioc rules back in 2015 2016 when i came out and asked the question to usa ultimate what does this look like how can what how does this affect me and, and others going forward the conversation was started and people actually started engaging with the questions and policy changed and Although that obviously doesn't always happen in the best of ways, just look at swimming, for example, with Leah Thomas. Um, I think a lot of times if trans athletes are given a platform, are listened to, are heard out for their experiences and their thought processes, I think that's, that's really the place to start is to talk to the people who are most affected because as much as we'd like to think all of the medical experts that could be brought in the room can answer all the questions at the end of the day it's probably the trans folks the folks who are most affected by the policies they're probably actually going to be the experts more than anyone else who is thinking and sitting there trying to figure out what does it look like versus a person who has to go through it and has to really square with what their place is in sports um and really trying to embrace that Trans athletes are athletes, and sports governing bodies should listen to their athletes. Um, I think I think it's really the place to start 
and the place that we continue to see ultimate trying to move forward and trying to listen to its player base and figure out what's next and how can we continue to move forward. So, Jenna, a personal thought that I've had is that we not only have to look at the rules within games, that perhaps we have to be a little creative, have some new thinking, and perhaps consider imagining new games, given that what we're seeing in sport and what we're seeing with new generations coming into sports and their attitudes in regards to gender, perhaps we need some new games. You may have to get new games and also just start rethinking the ways that we make assumptions about sports. Because part of it, too, is that so much of the conversation, it feels like, centers on professional level sports. And Ultimate is getting there. Um, And and on the Olympics as the other example. And people really like to focus on, okay, but like all the trans women are going to win all the gold medals. No, No trans woman has won a gold medal yet. Shocker. And and just the idea that we're going to, oh, that LeBron James is going to tra- could transition and dominate the WNBA. Okay, but here's the thing with sports. Sports offer so much to us as people that at the end of the day, it it's about, for me, building up sports that everyone can feel like they can play sports and the pro leagues are kind of their own thing. The Olympics kind of their own thing. Um, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm far less concerned personally about what this means for someone who might transition as an NBA player trying to move to the WNBA. I, I think about what's the 10, 12 year old, 15 year old who's trying to play sports. He's trying to get all of the good that comes from sports, the leadership, the teamwork, uh, confidence building, um, just plain exercise. Um, why are we limiting people from just doing that at a base level when sports we know offer so much good? Why is there so much focus on the top level when that's what point one? Point zero one percent of all people who play sports. At the end of the day, I'm honestly more concerned about the other ninety nine point nine percent of people who want to play and that that non pro levels, because that that's for me who should matter more rather than the the top top echelon can kind of be their own thing. I feel like now in the news over the weekend, and you play a little disc golf here and there. You probably heard about Natalie Ryan's win at the MVP Open. And again, you've played in some disc golf tournaments. You know, you have an idea what it takes. Now, the haters and the detractors and all the mean tweets have come out. Do these people have a leg to stand on? And why do you feel that every time Natalie Ryan does well or wins that people just lose their damn minds? Yeah, I mean, I think I first off, it's amazing the season that Nelly has had not only her two wins on the season, but also uh, taking second place at the OTB Open, uh, which is actually held in Stockton, California. And I actually also played at the exact same event in the exact same division, the exact same layout as Natalie. Natalie finished second. Um, making a huge comeback push in the final round only to just lose out on the final couple of holes to uh, pretty much inarguably the best women women's player of all time, Paige Pierce, um, Alan Stockton. I was at the same event. 
and I finished uh, 39th. So two trans women in the field, one finished second and one finished 39th. Um, to my eye, that doesn't prevent present very much of a good case for uh, trans women having an inherent advantage in sports, in disc golf, for this example. Um, and even with Natalie's win this weekend, yeah, she beat Kristen Tatar, um, Estonian first-time world champion this year. And guess what? Kristen has won like the last three or four events before this and almost won this one too. So the idea that Natalie and trans women are dominating FPO, that, that we don't belong, just doesn't, isn't borne out. Natalie has worked really hard to become a very good disc golfer, and she's been rewarded for it this year with a couple of wins because she's a very good women's disc golfer. And she happens to be trans. Um, and, and the breaks have, have helped go her way. Um, I mean, in the final playoff hole, she got a nice little kick off of a rock wall that was right by the finishing basket that put her in even more prime position than she probably would have already been in uh, to put all the pressure on Kristen to have to make a, make a putt to finish it out. Um, and at the end of the day, it just... I feel like people just miss the context of other trans women exist in, in disc golf, in all sports. Other trans people exist across sports. We don't often talk about trans men in sports, and that's because people make assumptions about trans men's athleticism and ability to compete in men's sports. I present the case of Chris Mosier, who made Team USA. Um, and just... The, the idea that, yes, because Natalie wins, there's clearly an inherent advantage. When this was at a course that doesn't even play to her strengths, Natalie can throw the disc really far. Well, so can Paige Pierce and so can Kristen Tarr and Ella Hansen and many others for any of you in disc golf who know, recognize the names at all of what I'm talking about. If you don't, that's okay. Women can throw the disc really far and so can Natalie. But this course doesn't set up particularly well for distance. It's in the woods. The holes are very technical. Um, you have to play really good disc golf. And it's not just about who throws it the furthest. It's who plays the best disc golf. And there's nothing in trans women that make us better disc golfers. And again, I present my 39th place finish at a tournament that Natalie finished second at. And as people think that the Sky's falling, and then just miss all the other context in the meantime. Now switching gears, season's over. The podcast is on hiatus until next spring. What are some of the things you've got going right now? I mean, I, I honestly have, have currently been unemployed for the last few months. Been the job hunt, so if you're listening and you want to hire someone who has public speaking experience, who has... Uh, writing and reporting experience, who has experience with DEI and LGBTQ inclusion and training and facilitation, I have a big skill set. Skill set. Let me know. I'm based in the Bay Area. Um, I I've been hanging out. I've been supporting folks in the the trans trans ultimate communities in various ways. Just the other week, I got a very um, kind instagram dm from an ultimate player in germany who had recently watched my 2019 tedx talk which i sometimes honestly forget even exists 
they're just like, hey, this is where I'm a trans person in Ultimate and took a lot away from Utah's um, talk, and you're doing a lot of good work in the community, even when I've been in my relative off season. Um, so hanging out, job hunting, playing some ultimate, playing some disc golf, took down my first, uh, professional win, um, last month, at a disc golf tournament in San Francisco. Um, and otherwise I do various project work. I did some work with the uh, Athlete Ally for a while from 2020 to uh, earlier this year before my uh, contract wrapped up with them. Um, and I also do media writing, reporting, commentary work for an ultimate media um, organization called Ulti World. Uh, we'll be in San Diego, California in uh, October for the national championship. So while my team didn't make it, I, I will be there to be writing and reporting on all the goings on. Right. Since you'll be at the national championship, Jenna, who you got? I, I always feel like it's difficult to pick against my hometown, San Francisco Fury in the women's division, um, defending national champions. I don't see why they can't do it again for the umpteenth time, uh, in the mixed division. I'm going to end up just picking mostly uh, my friends. Although I have friends on a lot of these teams. Uh, I'm going to go with the current world champion, Seattle Mixtape, um, to take down the mixed title after their Crosstown Rivals BFG took it down last year. In the men's division, I'm going to go with New York Pony, Pride of New York, to, to take home the title. Uh, after Raleigh Ring of Fire took it last year. So I'm going with pretty much just the favorites, but it's hard to say, especially in like the mixed division where chaos has reigned for years on end. Exit question. Take all the rules and regulations, everything we talked about out of the equation. And let's say that everyone points to you and say, okay, Jenna, you're the rules czar. You make the call. From a personal standpoint, when it comes to inclusion, what do you want to see? Uh, I mean, in Ultimate, I think continuing to build off of, of what we're working on right now, of not having necessarily the set categories of men matching, women matching, opening up the idea of defender of all and different ways to communicate with each other. And I think in general, just opening up people's imagination to what it means in each of their individual sports to be more inclusive in different ways, because that's going to look differently at the end of the day in different sports. Ultimate, as much as I would love it to be the example um, for everyone to look on it's its own sport it shows up in different ways the way that we match up doesn't really compare to many other sports as far as i know um in terms of one-on-one -on -one matchups um and i think just the more self-determination the more that we allow queer trans non-binary folks to lead from the front give them the platform let them speak up the reason why change happened in Ultimate was that the words I wrote 
in an online ultimate frisbee magazine that I thought maybe a hundred people would read when I first wrote it was read and, and reached and heard by the top decision makers in the sport. And that's partially because ultimate's a, a small, funky little hippie sport, but at the end of the day it's a sport and the governing body heard me out. Um, and I think the more that governing bodies can sit and be okay with listening, the better it'll be for everyone involved. Jenna Weimer, this has been a real treat. It's been great to have you here at the transporter room. And also thank you for speaking out for stepping in there and being a part of some better solutions. And I'm going to tell you right now, we're going to want you back. I want you back here, especially with all these picks you are making. I want to see how it pans out. I just picked the favorites, so we'll see if chalk rains or some upsets happen along the way. Well, you have some fun at Nationals in San Diego. Like I said, we're going to want you back. We're going to beam you back down to the Bay Area. Thanks to Jenna Weimer for being a part of the transporter room this week. And on my last call, it's Ms. Weimer in mind that I'm thinking about something important. She was in the room where it happens, the room where it happens in a sense, by putting herself out there and pointing to the issues that needed to be talked about. And that is an important thing that a governing body answered back, took these things into account, and moved forward making policy, not in a vacuum, but working with all sides and working with players and bringing it to the people that play the games. You know, there's an example there for a lot of governing bodies. And not just governing bodies, there's an example there for our body politic as well. Right now, we're heading into the home stretch of a campaign season where, in this case, LGBTQ people and transgender people in particular are being talked about and perhaps being talked at, but not being talked to and even more importantly, listened to. And I'd like to send a challenge out to every head of a governing body and also every person that's seeking to perhaps be a part of our government, be it cities, be it states, or be it our country. Those who will be putting their names up on the ballot and will face the voters in November especially. I encourage you to talk with these constituencies. I encourage you to talk to, talk with, and more importantly, listen to these constituencies that others are forgetting in this time. It'll make the policies better. It'll make our society better. It'll make our nation and our world better. And in the case of our games, it'll make those better too. That's the transporter room for this week. And if there's someone you want to see, if there's something you want to see, or something you want to say about what I'm doing here, please, by all means, leave a message on our Twitter page, our Facebook page, and at our Instagram page, Transporter Room 10 Forward. Remember, 
everything that I do at the Transporter Room, I do for all of you, the people who support us. That's the Transporter Room for this week. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb. Live long and prosper and steady as she goes. I'll catch you all next week.